ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hello, I'm Clint Jasper. It's great to have your company as we meet the people and visit the places that make up a big country. This week, we meet the winners of the Rural Women of the Year, including Michelle Leonard, who brings music and singing workshops to Australia's most remote children through Murrumbilla Voices. We drop in to listen to another choir on the far south coast of New South Wales where they're writing new songs of ancestral stories and reclaiming the Durga language. And we'll open the doors on a men's shed celebrating 30 years this month and find at Robinson in the New South Wales Southern Highlands, women are sharing that space. The men's sheds are about men's mental health largely. Women have similar needs and it's also the networking, the camaraderie, and, you know, the girls who always wished they could have done woodwork or metalwork at school when they were sent off to home economics. And the She Shed is where you'll find the women of Robinson practising their wood and metalworking skills. First today, we'll head to the Sunshine Coast of Queensland, where Emma Gibbons has built a factory making tantalising treats for pets and horses. Her secret ingredient for the dog treat is insects that are fed on food scraps. And with her all-women workforce and biscuits that look good enough for humans to eat, she's breaking into a multi-billion dollar global market. As Jennifer Nichols found out, she's a worthy winner of the Queensland Rural Woman of the Year. Merry Christmas bones we have here, getting ready for Christmas season. Done. Welcome to Hudson Toke. I'm Emma Gibbons. We're manufacturing all of our dog treats and horse treats right here in Coolum at the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. They look like they've got icing on them. You've got them in biscuit shapes, cake shapes, all sorts of things. Yeah, that's exactly right. So they're brought out at birthday parties for dogs and at coffee dates with dogs. So we sell a lot to cafes, bringing a little bit of joy into people's lives by sharing a happy moment with their dog. That's what we really want to achieve. And I think we have a achieve that by all the Instagram tags we get and then we've done it with the horses as well we've created like really beautiful cookies for horses so they can be rewarded at the end of the day after all their hard work that they do for their riders and some of the treats you make I mean they look good enough for people to eat yeah I think they are often mistaken (laughs) and and people do play tricks on their kids But yes, they are designed to appeal to the human eye, but once again, they're made with dogs' health in mind. Dog treats and dog food, big business. Yeah, it's a massive business. So the pet food market in Australia is worth over $3.7 billion per annum. The pet treat segment is worth in excess of $302.9 million. Then the US market is just like greatly magnified. We're looking at in excess of $50 billion alone in the US. So we only need a little bit of that to, you know, keep us going. (laughs) What year did you actually found the company? Um, In 2012, it began. We sat around the table and came up with the retail name of Hudson Toke. So Hudson Toke came from our son's imaginary dragons, <laughs> Toke and Hudson. And we were sitting there and he was playing with them behind us. And we're like, well, they mean a lot to us as a family. So let's turn it into the brand name. You, you don't have a picture when you hear that name. So we get to the, build that picture in your head of, you know, quality and world class and all of that and creating like planet-friendly pet products. We can see that traditional meat sources are getting harder to get, are more expensive. 
and we really wanted to look at sustainable options and we um, saw that insects were a really viable alternative to traditional meat, mostly because of their sustainability and dogs absolutely love them. So the insects we use are Australian grown soldier fly larvae. Their whole purpose in life is to compost food waste matter, like within 14 days they can be then turned into a really high protein meal, it's like 60% protein. With the horse treats you're actually utilising vegetables? Yeah, so we're working with farmers in the scenic rim in Queensland to utilise excess vegetables and turn them into vegetable protein powders, so to speak. Then we input them into our horse treats like our carrot bix, our veggie tubes, which have got carrot and beetroot. We actually utilise the pumpkin in our USA Krispy Kreme donuts because they were a pumpkin spice flavour. So the little old Queensland pumpkin is sitting on shelves across the US at the moment. <laughs> donut form. <laughs> We're selling across Australia now to pet shops, produce stores, saddlery stores and we sell globally with a collaboration with Krispy Kreme Donuts to the USA, UK and New Zealand which has been just so exciting. How on earth did you end up clinching that deal? They loved our products and said do you think you could design a um, donut that looks like some of our best sellers? I went absolutely and they said we'd love to collaborate which is just such an amazing opportunity for a little Queensland brand like ours. We have um, turned it into a year-on-year -year event and we're slowly owning International Dog Day across the world. <laughs> so these are dog treats that look like donuts. They look sweet and delicious but they're made specifically for dogs so they do not taste like they look. They're not sweet, they're nutty. And what I think is really interesting about your business too Emma Gibbons is that apart from your husband Russell you've got an all-female workforce. Yes, I do. Yeah, we're a great crew here of varying backgrounds and diverse age groups. We all get on really well. We put in a massive effort as a team to help each other. A fun, outgoing team that all really enjoy what we do. Was it a conscious decision to hire women? Um, it's sort of just morphed in that way in the last two to three years and it's just gelled really well and worked really well. And Russell goes okay with all of that? <laughs> Yes, he just calls himself the heavy lifter, but Russell is a very integral part to our business and we couldn't do it without him either. You've been named the Queensland winner of the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award. What did that mean to you? Oh, it meant so much. I'm a country girl. I was born and bred in country Queensland. I feel that I can showcase what good old hard country work can do to create a successful international business. The AgriFutures Rural Women's Award has just been an amazing experience. I've found it so supportive and positive. I'm just thrilled to be a part of it because of all the other amazing finalists that I'm standing beside. We've become an amazing sisterhood, which is really unique as well. I hope I can inspire lots more women to um, be more entrepreneurial in the agricultural landscape and take those little risks here and there and go with their crazy ideas. If I can be a voice for that, that's awesome. Let's just do these two lines until I get the feel of what rhythm you want, what, yeah, what sort of style. Again. I love singing and I love the bits and pieces of my language that we knew, but if you told me five years ago I'd be doing this, no, no way in the world. I'm Tamsin Davison. 
I am a Lalabanga Narago woman and I sing with Jinnami Yaliga. How are you singing that? Baru Bariwari Ganya. Bariwari Ganya. Ganya Anda. Yeah? You can't retrieve a language just with song alone, but it's a good place to start. G'day, my name's Dr. Lou Bennett. I'm Yori Yori Jajawarang. I've been a musician for over 30 years. I started my career with my uncles and led to professional music with a group called Titters. Titters means sisters in one of our many languages. Part of our singing or our career led me down the track of language and language retrieval and how we could do that through song. And one of the first songs I wrote in my own language, or one of my languages, Yori Yora, was called Waka Niniana, Waka Niniana, which is, where are you going? And that came from a beautiful tape that I heard of my great-grandmother speaking in Yori Yora. Down the track further, I worked in a company called the Black Armband Company. And now I'm working for the University of Melbourne and I work with language rematriation. My role, or my purpose even, is to facilitate communities to bring back their own languages through their own songs, their own stories. Is that it? Yeah. How would you say it? Dinalibura. Because that's your foot, eh? Dinna, like walk far away. We were never able to learn our language through our parents in a natural way. It's pretty devastating, you know? You're nice. And I understand now how destructive that is to our people. Because our language places us in country. My name is Cheryl Davison. I'm a Wolbunja Narigo woman. The way we're learning with the choir is for us a very healing way. It's a very cultural way. I feel filled with pride to be able to share that with my aunties and my cousins. Um, yeah, just pride. You got yourself another song. <laughs> I'm too deadly at this. It takes practice, but after a while, it's just in there. And looking at all those beautiful words, it brings a connection through song to everything. My name's Maria Ann Walker. 
This is my country. I was born in Jeringaunch country, but we lived on the Aboriginal Reserve, Walliga Lake. I've dedicated myself to Jinnama Yilligat now, so I love it. I love the singing. With waking up all the animals, the trees, singing to the trees, they can all hear us. It's bringing our culture alive again. Singing the language, even though we never grew up talking it, it comes very natural to us and we feel very honoured. This is the, the language that our ancestors spoke, you know. I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime to speak fluently again, but I know with our younger generation, they're going to be speaking it. Song is what gives us our law. And when we listen deeply, we allow our language to come alive in us because it's alive in the country. Dr Lou Bennett, singer-songwriter and senior lecturer at the University of Melbourne's Social and Political Sciences Faculty. And with her, the singers of the Jinnama Yilligar Choir of the far south coast of New South Wales. You can see more on those stories on the ABC website. Just search for A Big Country. Soon we visit Robinson in the New South Wales Southern Highlands where the men's shed is happily sharing the space with the town's women in the she shed. But first, in northwest New South Wales, children are no longer missing out on music and singing enjoyed by students in the city thanks to the work of Michelle Leonard, who for 20 years has been running workshops and touring choirs in the most remote areas of the state. And this week she was announced runner-up in the AgriFutures Rural Woman of the Year. I founded an arts organisation called Murrumbilla Voices. Michelle Leonard has travelled thousands of kilometres to run music and singing workshops for children and youth in regional and remote New South Wales. I grew up in a small and fabulous town in western New South Wales called Canamble. And when I was growing up, there was an enormous amount of live music making and an opportunity to actively participate intergenerationally in music making um, and indeed the wider performing arts as well. Uh, my father is 101 and when he was growing up, you could dance, you could go to an opera in Canamble, you could go to the Plaza Theatre. The space that we now rehearse in Baradine had dances with a live band uh, four to five times a week. As artistic director of Mirambilla Voices, Michelle takes students from years three to 12, from Kaduga to Mailong, from Wulkania to Weewar, even bringing the choir to Sydney to perform at the Opera House. Now from regional New South Wales, as my beautiful children come on stage, I, um, oh, they are just so gorgeous. They represent the most remote and regional third of New South Wales. They met together yesterday for our first rehearsal. 
I'm David Clawton, and I met Michelle Leonard while she was back in Sydney ahead of her next workshop at Baradine over six hours' drive away. Michelle involves high-caliber composers, musicians, and choreographers, and she estimates over 40,000 children have joined her musical workshops. (laughs) So my crazy plan was that to do that, um, I was uniquely placed to be able to pick the people in situ that would thrive in the environment I wanted to create. But what that meant was I had to go on the road and knock on the doors of all these schools and go and do workshops with a very uh, single pursuit in that I wanted everyone to have an opportunity to learn and to um, actively engage in a in singing and making um, an understanding of how to read music, like music literacy was disappearing. Um, And then from that, right at the very end, I would uh, select children and high school students that would thrive in the environment I was going to create. That's meant (laughs) now, all these years later, that I've seen over 42,000 children in workshops. Jalen Walford from Kola Rinnebri first joined the Marimbilla Voices workshop in year three. He has performed in the music video, written song lyrics and learnt to dance, play drums and sing. I get invited to go around Babalises with the choir and they do cultural immersions and every five years or so they go to different places and they base their entire concerts and their themes on the different places and I am so happy to say that they're based their theme on my town and that's how I'm actually really involved into it and I love going back to Mobile every year. Michelle Leonard divides her time between a successful music career in Sydney and her rehearsals at Baradine between Coonabarabran and the Pilliga. She's won many awards, including Australia Day Honours, and now she's the New South Wales Rural Woman of the Year. With most of the children from Indigenous communities, reminders of a connection to country grounds the music in its place. I have only recently uh, discovered that in Gimilaroi, um, a billa we would all know means water. Muram or muram um, means where the water cuts and goes through. So the Kaosuray River actually, when it's in flood, when it does a banker, it cuts straight across that plain, that flood plain, into the Murrumbilla Swamp and goes into the Bibleroy and Warrena Creeks, you know, all the way out there. I thought it meant place of deep fresh water. But after a decade's worth of subtle sort of conversations and people understanding, just like in Europe, that different languages connect and shape the languages either side of them. So Wiradjuri and Gamilaroi and Ualaway and Ualaway, they all sort of have these shared commonalities but a nuance as well um, that is profound, actually. Um, So I have discovered that and it gives me a great deal of uh, strength because water will always find its quickest course. It is vital to humanity and it is absolutely vital to Australia, particularly fresh water. So it was no surprise then that the place that is older than Stonehenge, the most um, extensive and sophisticated form of aquaculture and a place of aggregating thought and trade and and culture and law would be the Brewarrina fish traps. And um, over the course of many years, 18 plus years on the road, um, I've kept coming back to Brewarrina and its incredible stillness and beauty and recognising that that way of operating and um, allowing the fingerlings to grow and create um, their own path in that waterway and to look at the, um, the knowledge and the understanding embedded in that 
incredible structure that really just looks like a net is thrown out over it, seeing thousands of pelicans over it over various years with um, Brad Steadman, an extraordinary linguist, um, and learning a lot about um, the the stories that are embedded in that. Um, it's really helped shape my worldview and, and this, um, I suppose, we've started to use this as a wider analogy for what happens with the artists and the children as we all walk together and, and create these conversations on respect and connection to country. It's a brisk Friday morning in Robertson. The sun's out, but on the first day of spring, the morning air still has a bite. The shed is not long opened, and already the tools are hard at work. Things like paintbrushes, bandsaws, a welding machine and steel brushes. See, see that where the rust is there? This is a typical day at the local men's shed, but there's one big difference. As coordinator Claire Hewitt explains, it's not just the blokes who are putting in the elbow grease. The idea of a shed came up in about uh, 2017 and it started off with um, some of the guys coming together and, and coming up with the idea and then um, a few of us, of the women, said, well, why can't we be involved and have a men's dedicated men's day and a dedicated women's day and we also have mixed nights and days as well. The idea was a hit and the state government liked the sound of it too. The shed received a $300,000 grant for a tailor-made building on Robertson's main street fitted with all kinds of tools, machinery, toilets and a kitchen. We've worked very hard and we did a lot of the work ourselves and the girls were involved in, in sort of fitting out and making benches as well as, as the men. So it's been a shared opportunity. One aspect the members are really proud of is the shed has equal membership from both sexes. The place is bridging the same gaps the Men's Shed initiative set out to address. The Men's Sheds are about men's mental health largely. Women have similar needs and it's also the networking, the camaraderie and, you know, the girls who always wish they could have done woodwork or metalwork at school when they were sent off to home economics. <laughs> Debbie Grono is 66 years old. She's wearing a red and dark blue flannelette shirt, orange earmuffs and her reading glasses are tucked into her shirt. She says hanging up her nurse's badge for shed membership was exactly what she was looking for. I wanted to do something else that was with, with my hands and being creative, and this ticks the boxes for me, because I'm too young to play lawn bowls and bingo. Debbie says the shed keeps her hands and her mind busy, and she likes working on projects that directly help her community. Things like replacing the wooden floor at the Bundanoon Hall, or repairing the furniture for Mission Australia's Triple Care Farm at Knights Hill nearby. They've also installed veranda railings for a local resident who is blind. At the moment, we're busy doing pallet Christmas trees to raise funds for the men's and women's shed in Robertson. And it's involved the whole shed, even the men. How valuable is it, though, that women can just have as big a role as the men in this shed? 
are fabulous because we bring a different dynamic to the shed. Uh, we also do a lot of baking and stuff, so we always uh, bring a great morning tea for the guys when they come down. Claire's husband, Graham Hewitt, agrees. We give the ladies the confidence to use all this equipment and uh, now some days we're redundant. We just sit outside and have a cup of coffee because uh, the ladies have got that confidence. This week marks 30 years since the Men's Shed initiative began. It's an Aussie grassroots invention and it's continued to evolve and strengthen local communities ever since. It is an important anniversary and the thing that a lot of people forget that the Men's Shed movement was started by two community nurses at Galwa in South Australia. And a lot of men forget that, that it was actually ladies who could see a need as the only she shed in its region, this one at Robinson attracts women from nearby towns and villages, some of them half an hour away. Because we were sticking our necks out a bit, and I think we're really pleased that it's gone as well as it has, and that the two sheds work so well together. The Robinson men's and women's shed celebrating 30 years of men's shed. Our reporter was Brooke Chandler. Thanks to our reporters this week, David Clawton, Brooke Chandler, Vanessa Milton and Jennifer Nichols. You can find more on these stories. Just head to the RN homepage and look for A Big Country. I'm Clint Jasper. I'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.